Okay. You're going to need your Bible, so take that out. Um, as you're doing that, let me just remind you, in case you were not here last Sunday, last Sunday we took a look at the first Christmas, and we talked about how we would normally say the first Christmas must have been the best Christmas ever, but then we stopped and looked at it from the perspective of the people who were involved, and we said, wow, I'm not sure this was such a great Christmas after all. Um, there was a lot of struggle going on. There was a lot of pain going on. There was a lot of confusion going on. There was a lot of doubt going on. And so I said last Sunday, if you are struggling right now, if life is not handing you everything you would like it to be handing you right now, but instead is handing you some other stuff, um, then congratulations, you're having a biblical Christmas. And so let me just ask you, it's now the 27th. Did you have a nice biblical Christmas? <laughs> some of you did. Um, some of us have had some uh, disappointments at Christmas. Some of us have had some disappointments this Christmas. Maybe you were hoping for that Red Rider BB gun and you got fuzzy pink pajamas. Uh, somehow, some way, it didn't work out the way you hoped it would or thought it would. And then there are some of us that are wishing, we, we wish it was just Christmas that was disappointing this year. There, there's a few of us, maybe more than a few of us, who who've been walking through 2015 and maybe stumbling through 2015 is a better way to say it. Some of us have taken some hits this year, and some of us are struggling right now. Um, and we've been thinking about this darkness that Jesus came to bring light into in this world and talking about how that's what Christmas is really all about. And so I do want to encourage you and say, listen, if you're going through some stuff right now, it really is okay. It really is normal. And it really is the reason for the season. Jesus came because of the darkness. Jesus came because of the pain. Jesus came because of how far we fall short of the standard that God has put up in our lives. So that's really what Christmas is all about. And as we get now through Christmas and we get to the place where Next week, there won't be any wreaths up, and there won't be any poinsettias, and we'll all be taking our Christmas lights down, and we'll be closing the book on another year. At the end of 2015, I want us to think about this, because we've talked the last couple of weeks about um, life's difficulties. And as we close the book on what for some of us has been a very, very difficult year, um, before we close that door... I just want to speak a few parting words into your 2015, if you will allow me. Because we've been thinking about how Christmas um, is God's remedy for the darkness of life. And as we wrap up this year and get ready to turn the page on a new year, I want us to get practical. I don't think it's going to be enough for us to just say, you know, oh well, I'll I hope I have a better year next year. But, but are there some things that need to happen? If Jesus has been brought into the world to bring light into the darkness, and yet some of us are still stumbling in a lot of darkness, then maybe we need to ask ourselves, hey, is there a role that I'm supposed to be playing in all of this? Are there some things that need to be happening in my life to appropriate that light? And so I want us to get into that so that we can be a little bit more practical as we wrap up the year and we step into a new year, because I think we've clearly established that life's not always easy. That's why Jesus came. That's what Christmas is about. Life's not easy. Sometimes we all face darkness. Sometimes we all go through hardships. And, and, you know, I know that a lot of us 
we, there are people in our lives that we just look at and we just see the blessings in their lives and we want to be happy for them, but we're kind of not. And we're like, what, what is with this guy? Everything he touches turns to gold. Why does he get everything and I'm still struggling? And you know that if you're a really good person, you're supposed to be clapping for him, but really you're just hoping he just falls off a cliff or something. And you're watching people and you're going, why is it that some people seem to get everything taken care of, you know? Whether it's just even non-Christians who are just, just ignoring God and couldn't care less about God, and yet God, there seems to be financial blessings in their life, family blessings in their life, health blessings in their life, or even Christians that you know, and you know, they stand up and they go, you know, I was going through this hard thing and I prayed and you know what happened? God healed me. And you're like, you know what? I've prayed for healing a hundred times. God has never healed me. What is with this? And we look at people and we think, some people are just more blessed. Well, listen, it is true that some seasons of life are harder for one person and easier for another person, but we need to understand something. Our God is no respecter of persons. Every one of us lives in a fallen world, and every one of us is struggling. Everyone. There is nobody who gets a free ride. There is nobody who gets a free pass. Everybody faces ups and downs. And a lot of us um, think that when we're down and other people are up, that there's something really just monumentally wrong about this. But the truth of the matter is that my life has ups and downs. I go through peaks and valleys. I have times where I'm just experiencing tremendous obvious blessings and rejoicing in them. And then I have other times where it just seems like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and, it, and, and nothing is changing in my life. And so I want us to realize that we all go through stuff. But here's the deal. Why is it that so many people, when they go through difficulties, they get knocked off track and just bowled over? Why is it that for a lot of us, when we go through hardships and things get bad, we get just devastated and we get flattened and it feels like we can't get up? And yet there are other people who also go through struggles. They also have trips to the hospital. They also have trips to the morgue. They also have trips to the bankruptcy lawyer, just like us. And yet, they seem to be steady. They seem to be doing okay. Even though things are difficult, they seem to be able to make it, and they don't lose their faith, and they don't lose their witness, and they don't just fall off the edge of the earth. And so if it's true that everybody has stuff to deal with, why is it that some people are crushed by their circumstances and other people seem to uh, excel in spite of their circumstances? It, it has to be something about the people, doesn't it? There has to be something practical here. And so I want us to get at that a little bit and go, okay, let's just agree we're all going to face some difficulties. We can look back on 2015. If we had time and we don't, I could say, turn to your neighbor and tell them the five most difficult things you went through in 2015. And if you had time to think about it, you could come up with five doozies. And by the same token, if I said, think about the five best things that happened to you in 2015, if you had time to think about it, there would easily be five great things that happened to you in 2015. So you had ups and downs just like everybody else did. And so how is it that somehow in this darkened world where Jesus infuses light, there are some people who seem to walk in that light and other people who seem to get enveloped in the darkness? We're going to talk about that today. Our part in appropriating this light that Jesus brings, that's what we want to get at. And so we're going to get practical. And if 2015 has had some struggles for you, 
Or if you're going into 2016 thinking, I honestly don't know if I can handle another year like that. I don't know if I can go through this any longer. Then this message is for you. I want to try to provide some perspective. I want to try to hopefully give us some hope as we sort of step precariously into 2016, trying not to stumble. And that's what this is about today. So let's begin by laying some foundation with Scripture. I want you to turn to the book of Romans. It's in the New Testament. Um, It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. So right after the book of Acts, you'll come to Romans. And I want you to go to Romans 5. And as you're going to Romans 5, let me just sort of um, summarize Romans 1 through 4 for you. Because Paul's letter to the Romans is kind of unlike any of his other letters. He just dives right into very deep doctrine, and he teaches doctrine. He's just teaching truth all the way through the book of Romans. So by the time we're four chapters into the book of Romans, Paul has already basically said, listen, here's the situation. All human beings are in a terrible mess. We're all in a terrible mess. We're all born into the same situation. We all inherit a sin nature. We all sin by our own choice, and therefore we're all separated from God. And he talks about the immensity of sin, and he talks about how because of our sin, we have no excuse before a holy God. There's nothing we can say to him who knows everything and say, well, it wasn't my fault or I didn't know. He goes, there's no excuse. God has taken away every excuse, and yet we still sin. And that puts us in a terrible situation because sin separates us from God, and the only reason we exist is to know God. And so we're in a terrible bind. That's basically what he tells us in chapters 1 through 4, and then he says, but the good news is that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, to pay the price for our sin, to make up the separation so that we can be one with the God who created us. And so he's explaining all of that, just really beginning his explanation in the first four chapters. And when he gets to chapter 5, he begins with the word therefore, because he's, he's now commenting on all that he's said up till now. And he says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is your cue to say amen. amen. Yeah, that was a pathetic amen. Let's try that again. Therefore, having been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I thought you were going to say that. Verse 2, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. So not only have we been justified, let's just stop and unpack this for a second. Because we we sometimes hear these Bible words and we go, I'm not exactly sure what that means. Let me tell you what justified means. Picture this. You robbed a liquor store. You did it. They got you on camera. There's all the evidence in the world. There are witnesses who testify against you. You're arrested. You're taken to court. And the case is laid out. But you have an amazing defense attorney. You did the crime. You're guilty of it. But your defense attorney stands up, and because of his knowledge of the law, he is able to to make a defense on your behalf so that when he sits down, the jury says, not guilty. And the judge pounds his gavel and says, not guilty. Now, did you commit the crime? Yes. Are you guilty? No. Guilt 
is a matter of law. The Word of God says that Jesus pays the price for our sin and becomes our advocate so that even though we committed the sins, we are no longer guilty. We no longer owe the debt. It's been paid. That is good news, right? That's what it means to be justified. It means when you walk out of that court of law, you're shaking your head and you're thinking, man, I deserve the worst. I deserve punishment. They had me dead to rights. I did it. And yet, I've been excused. And in the American court system, once you have been found not guilty, can you ever be tried again? No, it's over. It's done. Okay? That's what justified means. It means that, yes, you committed the sin, but you will not have to pay the price. You are found not guilty. Now, you're not found not guilty because God is an idiot. You're not found not guilty because God doesn't know what happened. You're found not guilty because God's love is so great. He is the righteous judge. And he has appointed for you an advocate in the person of Jesus Christ who says, I will pay the price for his or her guilt, and they will go free. It's an awesome truth. That's what it means to be justified. And so he begins chapter 5 by saying, you have been justified by works? No, by what? Faith. Just your faith. Just by trusting in God. And by the way, where did you get that faith? God gave it to you. (laughs) Even the faith is a gift. That's what grace is, my friends. And so this is why I said we should say amen when we hear that verse read. It's such an incredible truth that by grace through faith, we have been set free and we are now justified. And so he's been laying out this theological argument and he says, because you are justified, you should exalt. Now, what does it mean to exalt? It means to rejoice abundantly. There's a difference between exalt and exalt. Exalt is to lift up, and exalt is to rejoice, okay? So he's saying, you should rejoice abundantly. And the picture, he he could have just said rejoice. He could have just said be happy, but he uses the strongest possible term, which is exalt. He says you should exalt, because he has a picture in his mind, I think, and I think the picture is something like this. It's something like you're a little um, junior college, and somehow through some mistake of the making of the schedule, your basketball team is going to play a home game against the defending national championship, University of Kentucky. University of Kentucky, with the best players in the country, are going to come in to your little gym, and they are going to teach you a lesson in basketball, basically. And so you're shaking in your boots as a basketball player, and you go out there, and all the guys are eight inches taller than your tallest guy. And all of them are faster and all of them are stronger and they're on an undefeated streak and you're saying, we have no chance. But somehow the ball just bounces the right way enough times and at the buzzer, your guard shoots a shot from half court, sinks it and you win by one point. Okay? Now, if you go to that school and you're in the stands, what are you going to do at that moment? You're going to go bananas and you are going to rush the court, and you're going to tear down the backboards, and you're going to light cars on fire. That's not what it means to exult. (laughs) But you are going to rejoice with every ounce of your being. You're going to go nuts. That's what the word means. He is saying, 
I want you to rejoice abundantly, go crazy, because God has justified you. If ever there was a reason to be excited, it's that. Some of us opened presents a couple of days ago and got so excited about the present that we were exulting. Some of us, our team won. Some of us, our team didn't win this week. Um, But for some of us, our team won recently, and we said, wow, we're so excited about that. And yet, we think about the grace of God, and we go, huh, isn't it great? Man, he tells us we should be exulting in this incredible thing. And then he goes further, he says, don't just exult in your justification, but I'm going to tell you something else to exult in. Look at verse 3. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So we're to exult in our salvation. But then it gets weird. We're to exult in our tribulations. What are tribulations? Problems, trials, difficulties. When things go wrong, he says, you should storm the court. You should jump up and down and say, isn't this great? Now, any of you do that recently when things went wrong in your life? He says we're to exult in our problems. We should be rejoicing that we have difficulties. But listen, let's be realistic. Don't you sometimes read some Bible verses and go, it doesn't really mean that, right? Like, God can't really mean that we're to rejoice abundantly in the midst of our trials. I want you to notice not just what it says, but what it doesn't say. It doesn't say rejoice in spite of your tribulations. It doesn't say rejoice when you have no tribulations. It says rejoice in your tribulation. Not when it's over, in it. Rejoice. Now that is difficult to do. Unless you have the right perspective. How do you rejoice when everything is going wrong? That's an excellent question, and I'm really glad you asked it. I'm going to give you some practical things. First of all, we have to remember that time is a great healer. I'm not trying to be trite here. I'm not trying to look lightly upon whatever it is that you're struggling with, because God knows we're struggling with some stuff. But we need to remember something. Time does have great healing power. You know, how many times have you had a really bad thing happen in your life and you were just devastated and you're like, this is the worst moment ever, only to look back a few years later and it's the funniest story at the party and everybody laughs when you remember? I, I remember when I was a young pastor just getting started, I had never done a wedding ceremony before and um, I was doing this wedding, it was my very first wedding and I was terrified, I didn't know what I was doing and uh, It was an outdoor wedding, and it was in a gazebo. So the deal was, I'm standing in the gazebo. There's like two or three steps down to the ground, and then there's the aisle, and the bride's father's going to walk her down the aisle. You've seen the deal. You know how it goes, right? So I'm standing there with the groom, and the bride comes out, and she's just gorgeous, as brides always are. 
She's decked out in white in this beautiful off-the-shoulder gown, and she's coming down the aisle, and the music is playing, and everybody's dabbing their eyes. I look over at the groom, and his eyes are just filling with tears, and I'm thinking, is he going to make it? And he's looking at his bride, and it is just picture-perfect everything you dream a wedding will be. She gets to the front, and it's time for her to come up the gazebo, and she takes her first step, and she steps on the front of her dress which causes her to stumble a bit, which causes her to step again on the front of her dress. Now, I don't want to be too graphic here, but let me just say that her off-the-shoulder gown was off more than the shoulders. (laughs) Can you imagine? So, and and this is terrible, right? Not for her, for me. I'm standing here, and I'm terrified already, and she does this, and I'm I'm like... Oh my gosh, what do I do in this situation? And her dad's trying to keep her from falling and her groom is trying to pull her dress up. And this is just this chaotic, crazy moment. Thank God there was no YouTube in those days or she would have never lived it down, right? And, and it was, I know it was just devastating for her, you know, because her whole life she'd been waiting for this moment. You know, ladies, all the planning and all that stuff. And, and to have this happen... You know, thank God her back was turned to everybody but the groom and me. I'm still scarred by it. <laughs> but, um, but now we laugh at it. Now even you talk to them and we all laugh. We go, man, that was hysterical. And it was now <laughs> when you look back on it. And, you know, there's a lot of things like that. And if we're honest, sometimes we get all caught up in the, in the hurt or the sadness of a moment that once we have some perspective, we go, you know, that was not that big of a deal. It wasn't so life-shattering. It wasn't so terrible what just happened. Sometimes our most difficult situation um, turn out to be our funniest stories. But there are other things, you know, time is not just a great healer. Time can be a great teacher. Sometimes we go through difficult things And in looking back on those, we find that those are where we learned our greatest life lessons. Have you noticed, is it just me or have you noticed that you don't learn as well when things are going just just cruising right along easy as you do when you go through trouble? There's something about going through hardship and struggle that teaches you some things that you couldn't have learned any other way. You couldn't have read it in a book. Again, when when I was a young pastor, I was really a youth pastor when our senior pastor announced that he was leaving and they sort of dumped it all in my lap and said, you got to handle this from this point on. And really, there was two staff people in our church. There was myself, uh, once the senior pastor left, there was myself, and there was a worship leader who was an absolutely key person. So really, it's the senior pastor and the worship leader who were up, up on the platform all the time, leading the people. They're the ones the people are connected to the best. Senior pastor has now left. And I remember the first, the last Sunday that we had the senior pastor with us, that following Monday, I had a staff meeting with the worship leader. And I started giving him my halftime speech. And I started telling him, listen, this is going to be hard, but it's really you and I are going to have to come together. People are going to be looking to us for leadership. And we don't know if this church is even going to make it, but if it's going to make it, it's going to be because we hung in there. And he goes, hey, let me just interrupt you for a minute. He goes, the reason I wanted to meet today was to let you know that I'm resigning. And after I punched him, no, um, and I thought to myself, are you kidding me? Like, really? This, 
this is a time to resign? Like, you have just put the final nail in the coffin of this church. This church cannot make it. If, if the senior pastor left and you left, and I'm the only one left to run this show, there is no way the church will survive. I remember coming home that night talking to my wife about it and literally weeping. And I remember calling him the next day saying, let's have coffee, <clears throat> and begging him to stay. Like, like embarrassingly begging him. And I remember him saying no. And I remember calling him two days later and begging him again. And he left. And I'm telling you, at that point, there was no way that church was going to make it. And here we are like 27 years later, and God is still changing the world through this church. You think I learned something there? Man, I, 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 every time key people have left, I, I hesitate to say this because I don't want anybody leaving, okay? Let me be clear. You're not allowed to leave. Okay, that being said, every time there have been key people in our church who God has moved elsewhere, it's always been so hard for me to swallow. It just hurts. You know, these are people that you... You live with and, and you, you bleed with and you, you're in the trenches with. They're people you invest your life in. And, then, and they're leaders in the church and now they're at the point where they're really making an impact and then God moves them. You go, oh. I'm telling you, there, there was a, a time when um, we, we, had, we had really, at that time, two, two very key couples in our church many years ago. One of them, the husband was an elder, the wife was the director of women's ministry, so it would be very much like Roger and Debbie Ingebretson today. The other one was the worship leader, and his wife was a worship leader. They, they did it together. And <clears throat> within two days, they came to me separately and said, God is moving us, we're leaving. Sat in our living room and said, you know, our time here has been so great, we're so thankful and all that, but you know, God sometimes moves us. And I remember sitting there with my wife in the living room, and I remember telling them how great it was that God had this great plan for their life, and I remember praying over them and walking them to the door and closing the door behind them and looking at my, life, my wife like, are you kidding me right now? This is the, there's no way. Like, how do you, how do you replace all your key leaders at the same time? But you know what my wife said? She goes, you remember when the worship leader left? Back in the first day? God got us through, didn't he? Apparently there's something to the listen to your wife thing. <laughs> and she reminded me about God's faithfulness. We sang about his faithfulness today. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Guys, when we go through hard times, there are lessons that we learn about the faithfulness of God. There are lessons that we learn about the feebleness of ourselves, amen? amen. There are lessons that we learn. God teaches us. How many of you today would say that you're now a Christian? And one of the reasons you're a Christian is because there was a time in your, in your life where things got so bad that you had to admit you had come to the end of yourself and you couldn't fix it and you didn't know what to do and you couldn't handle it and you finally cried out to God and he said, I've been waiting for your call. And you've been walking with God ever since. God is amazing at the way he works through our difficult times. 
When things are going just fine, we just fly along and cruise. It's so easy for us to forget about God. So easy. But man, when you are stumbling and it's dark and you can't find the light switch, you remember God. Sometimes we're just uh, going to have funny stories to tell because of the difficulty. Sometimes we're going to have great lessons that we learn. And sometimes it's just God's way of taking a two-by-four and smacking you in the side of the head and going, I'm telling you, you need to pay attention to me. And if it hadn't happened, we'd have been forever lost. Now looking back, you realize God was in that. God was doing that. God was teaching me. He was molding me. He was shaping me. Time changes everything. And even when there are things that are so terrible that there's no way you'll ever laugh about them. And there are some things like that. And even when there are some things where you go, you know what, I went through this and I have no idea what I was supposed to learn from that. If God was trying to teach me something, he didn't teach it very well because I have no idea what he was getting at. There are some things I've been through where I go, I have no idea what the lesson is in that. But even for those of us who are Christians, it's so important for us to remember that even in those times, we may not ever laugh about it, we may not ever learn from it, we may just struggle through it. And you know what? That's okay. Because this life is not all there is. We're, we weren't created for time, we're created for eternity. And, and there is going to be a time. I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. <clears throat> You're in Romans, just two books to the right, 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> And I, I love 2 Corinthians because it's so real. Paul, in the first three or four chapters of 2 Corinthians, is basically telling his story about how difficult everything has been. There have been people who have deserted them. They have been uh, arrested. They have been beaten. They have been charged with crimes. They have had so many of their friends run away. Just like the prayers that they prayed, God didn't answer, and he wouldn't let them go where they wanted to go. That's what he's explaining in the first three and a half, four chapters of 2 Corinthians. And we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. Let me read this to you. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He says, it's just a momentary light affliction. And this may be the point on which you take offense. This may be the point in which you say, well, Paul, what you're going through may be a momentary light affliction, but I'm dying here. This is not a momentary light affliction, what I'm going through. What's interesting is that when you look at the explanation Paul has made, and when you go back and read the book of Acts and you watch Paul's life, and you realize that every city he goes into, he gets arrested, beaten, stoned, imprisoned, whipped, over and over and over again, he suffers unimaginable horrors far beyond whatever my worst day has been. He has had repeatedly again and again and again. And it's in that context that he's speaking of his own life, and he calls those things momentary light afflictions. How do you call those things momentary light afflictions? The only way it's possible, well, there's two. You could be lying. 
You could just be in, in denial. You say, oh, it's no big deal. You'd be like uh, the Black Knight in the Monty Python movie. It's just a flesh wound, right? <laughs> you could be in denial, or you could have your eyes so focused on the truth that you recognize that eternity is promised by a God who cannot break a promise and that He has set His love on you and He has said to you, you will have life the way it was meant to be and it will last forever. And I don't know because I've never been there, but from what I read in Scripture, it tells me that one second on the other side of eternity is like a bazillion years. And you look back and you go, yeah, that divorce, it was the worst three years of my life. It took three years to where I was just not crying myself to sleep every night. And you know what? It's a momentary light affliction compared to the blessings that I'm experiencing right now. That loss of a loved one that devastated me and I couldn't just get out of bed for so long, it's a momentary light affliction compared to the glory that I'm experiencing right now. What he's saying, you guys, is we have to have an eternal perspective. We come to the end of 2015 and we go, well, how was this year? And we mark everything on calendar pages and we turn a calendar page and we say, New Year's resolution, it's going to be a new year. It's going to be better and I'm going to have a better life and it's all going to be fine. All of these years keep passing by. Have you noticed as you get older, they're passing faster, aren't they? And God says... It's momentary. You're just here for a blink. And then real life begins. And when we have that perspective by faith, we can know that we're going to be okay. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if we have believed in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. If our hope is just for this life, if we're buying into the baloney that the preachers are selling that says, if you just, if you just uh, believe in God and send money to my ministry, you will have all of your needs met, all of your sicknesses healed, all of your money will be given to you, all of your bills will go away, everything will be fine. If that's your hope, you should be pitied, Paul says, because that is not the gospel. The gospel is this life has ups and downs, there are great days, there are bad days. There are times to rejoice and times to mourn. But the day is coming when all of that will seem like a momentary light affliction. And you know what? It's true. It's not just pie in the sky. It's true. An eternal perspective changes everything. God is preparing you for an eternity. This is not the end of your story. And I'll be honest with you. <clears throat> there have been times when I have suffered and it never became a funny story. There have been things I've gone through that I never learned a lesson from. There are trials that I've faced and I have no idea what that was all about. There are times that the only thing that has gotten me through is that I know that I know that I know that I will stand with my Redeemer. My Redeemer lives. And He has promised me eternity. And I believe him. 2015, <clears throat> not the final word in your life. However long you walk this earth, your story will never be primarily about this life. You were created for eternity. 
And, you know, we don't have time to look this up, but maybe this week in your, in your quiet times, read Hebrews 11. Just mark this down. Read Hebrews 11 in your quiet time this week. It's what is affectionately known as the hall of faith. It lists all of these great men and women of God from the Old Testament and people you've heard of like, like Moses and David and Abraham and all these great people, and it lists them and it talks about how they live by faith. And I don't know if you know this, but the book of Hebrews is very unique in the New Testament. We don't even know who the author of the book of Hebrews is. And it wasn't written like a letter. It is apparently a sermon. And it was apparently a sermon that was dictated and and written down. And so uh, as a pastor, I face this all the time. Face it right now. You look up at the clock and you go, oh my gosh, I'm almost out of time. And if I happen to go two minutes beyond, everybody will give me the evil eye. So I, I have to wrap this up. And that's what happens in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. He goes, he goes, he starts listing these names and telling these stories. And he goes, you know, time won't allow me to mention all these other people. And he goes, but there are some people who walked in the promises of God and they were stoned to death. There are some people who were sawn in two because they believed God. There are some people who refused to give up their, their testimony about God, and therefore they were put to death. People whose names are not even remembered, he says. So yeah, there's the people that we name churches after, the great saints, and then there's a lot of people that you never heard of, and they just suffered <laughs> quietly, and their prayer never got answered this side of heaven. But one moment in eternity changes your perspective on everything. Remember, the Christmas story that we looked at last week, with all of its pain and difficulty, all of the main characters were confused the whole time. No one understood. They were going through difficulty. They were going through depth that they had never been through before, and they had no idea what to do with it. In fact, God had to keep sending angels and tell them not to be afraid because because nothing they were going through made any sense. And he had to tell Mary, listen, Mary, I know this sounds crazy. I know you never heard anything like this. I know you don't know what to do about this, but trust me, I got this. I'm doing something great. You'll understand later. Hey, Joseph, I know this is embarrassing. I know this is shameful. I know your friends are giving you a lot of guff and your family doesn't want to talk to you anymore because you're continuing to stay faithful to this woman who was pregnant outside of uh, wedlock. And and I know that it makes no sense to you, but don't worry, Joseph, because I got this, and you're going to understand later. And, he, and how many times has God not told us what's going on? And we just had to trust him. And guys, what I want to say to you is if your 2015 has had some real low points, 2016 is coming. Now, the fact that we turn the calendar page doesn't mean next year will be better. I can't promise you that. Even if you keep your resolutions... Stop drinking Coke. I can't promise you that next year is going to be better. Here's what I can promise you. Ups and downs come. Things change. We go through hard times. We go through good times. But God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And just because we're confused doesn't mean God is. Isaiah 55, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways higher than our ways. Just because we're confused doesn't mean God is. He's got this. 
And so I want you to wrap up 2015 with a bit of a challenge, and the challenge is this. Wherever you are in your faith journey today, will you trust Him going forward? Will you trust Him? Will you believe in Him? And, and, and will you take the steps to appropriate this light that Jesus has come to give? I hope so. Because He's doing something great in your life, and you don't want to miss it. And it's going to come through times of tribulation. Because tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance leads to proven character. And proven character leads to hope. The kind of hope that will not disappoint because of the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So what do you do when times get tough? Philippians 4 spells it out. <clears throat> he says, listen, don't let anxiety control you. Don't freak out when times get tough. Instead, cry out to God and, and ask Him for the things that you need. And don't forget while you're crying out and asking Him to also thank Him. Because perspective is everything, isn't it? When we stop and remember all of the many things that God has given us, all of a sudden the things we're struggling with don't seem to be so overpowering. We don't feel so abandoned. We don't feel so lost. Don't forget to thank Him. And it says that if you will trust in Him in that way, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is my prayer for you as you close the book on 2015. And as you, as you tentatively step into 2016, may you do so holding the hand of your king because he's got this. And just because you're confused doesn't mean he is. Let's stand together.